Anachutes by Dean Peterson. Chapter 6. The shrink seemed to bulge inconsistently between the buttons on her satiny blouse. She was an odd relic of somewhere else in the world I sort of remembered. A place where people drove Priuses and donated to NPR and were members of book clubs. Now she drifted amidst the ranks of camouflaged figures like a human thermometer, sniffing for signs of mental illness. We had all talked to her. We were required to every six months, and sometimes more. Especially us guys on Rear D, where delinquency and alcoholism and other problems seemed to be tripled. We sat in her office that smelled feminine somehow, and stared at the joss-like sticks of something that protruded from a little glass cup of purple fluid. Apparently it was the latest in hippie air fresheners. Or we stared at the picture of her hot daughter, slash niece, slash friend's daughter, slash whoever it was, posing in short khaki shorts with a backpack, and a Subaru in front of a sign that read, Rocky Mountain National Park. Perhaps the more thoughtful of us wondered about the connection. It seemed unlikely that this frumpy shrink and the sexy hiker shared too much DNA in common. We answered her questions with varying degrees of honesty or lies. Private Jeffries, who was no one's friend, consistently lied to her hoping to get a prescription for antidepressants that he could trade with one of the NCO's wives for Percocet, which she still had after a motorcycle accident. Jeffries' plan was to sell that Percocet to buy even more potent drugs at the clubs downtown by the marked plots. Jeffries was always up to something, a scheming, lying little man-child the Milo Menderbender of our detachment. Until now, the only time I had heard of someone voluntarily going to see the shrink was when one of the lieutenants, who is now under investigation for some offense or another, paid one of the privates $20 to go tell the shrink that he had an imaginary friend who told him to burn things. The prank backfired on the private when he then had to be escorted by an NCO to six follow-up appointments to the patchouli-smelling office before he was pronounced sane again. Now of my own free will, I climbed the long stairway above the gym to her tiny hideaway. I did the obligatory oogling of the photo of the hiker in Colorado, but I failed to be entranced like before. Instead, all I could think of was fair white skin and curly brown hair that I couldn't find anymore. So what brings you here? The shrink finally asked after going over the required questionnaire she had people fill out. What was I really going to say to her? Would she think I had been paid off to feign encounters with a fake person, just like the last guy? Do people who see things really believe they're seeing things? I finally ventured. See what kind of things, she asked, sitting back and wrapping her chubby hands around a knee with a surprising air of respectful interest. I almost snickered, thinking for a moment to say, I see dead people, with a wide-eyed childlike expression. I... I was not going to come right out with it. I thought I met a girl, I said, and now I can't find her. I felt stupid. The words fell awkwardly from me like lumps of warm stupid. She regarded me calmly, her face an impenetrable mask of quiet professionalism. And this girl has stopped contact with you, she asked, her tone betraying nothing. Apparently, yeah, I admitted. She leaned back and squirted a dollop of hand sanitizer into her palm, then offered me some, which I rejected. I smelled the alcohol as she rubbed her hands together. Where did you meet this girl, she asked. The woods, I frowned, realizing how shady that sounded. You go hiking, she offered, trying to flesh me out. Running. Tell me about your relationship, she said in that same non-judgmental calm tone. It was brief, I said. Why? she asked. Was there an argument? No, I answered honestly. There really hadn't been one. She just quit showing up. I'd been blown off by girls before in a time long before the army. 
but how do you make awkward amends with someone from another dimension? I finally threw down the gauntlet. I think I saw someone who was alive, but who passed on. I sped it out, realizing how crazy that sounded. Again, no visible cues came from the shrink betraying her real opinion of me. This is who you had the relationship with, she clarified. I nodded. What did you do with this friend, she asked. Hung out, I shrugged, realizing the phrase did not do justice to how excited I was every time I'd spent time with Anna. We played video games and watched movies. She helped me get through the bad days. I felt my voice quaver a little. I told her everything about Anna. I felt semi-secure in the suddenly quiet presence of this hippie who we had all judged a little too harshly. She shot off a typical shrink question about if Anna had ever told me or encouraged me to hurt myself or anyone else, along with some drug and alcohol questions which pricked my suspicion that maybe she thought this was all a hallucination. Was seeing this girl pleasant? she asked. I gave an unabashed smile. In the army and around its cohorts, you learned so quickly to monitor and edit your emotions and how you show them, but not then. In that moment, the familiar but dormant memory felt so good as I thought about Anna. She was what kept me going, I said. The shrink gave an assessing nod. Why do you think you don't see her anymore? I frowned and shook my head. This is what I had come to ask the shrink for help on, or at least tell me if I was crazy or not. I don't know. I woke up one morning and she wasn't there, and I haven't seen her for almost a week. I think I cut myself off. I didn't want to tell her the truth. I wondered if Anna had left me because she could tell I was thinking about doing it, ending it. That wasn't something I wanted to tell the sweater-wearing figure in front of me for fear of being put in the booby hatch and have my tentative date with the bullet ruined. Part of me wanted this lady to tell me that Anna wasn't real, and thus it didn't matter that she had left, that I had not really been rejected because no one was there to reject me. Perhaps some disruption in my brain chemistry, all an illusion, an hallucination, though a bigger part of me desperately just wanted Anna back, whatever she'd been. I don't remember what else the shrink said as she danced around my issues. She referred me to the hospital in Landstuhl for some sort of brain scan, which I would cancel as well as the pharmacy for pills, which I would never pick up. Then I walked out, seeing the backpacking girl disappear out of my periphery as I left. That night, I loaded my rucksack with my sleeping bag and laptop and began to march towards the woods. I waved at the patrolling MPs who must have thought I was just conditioning for one of the upcoming ruck marches the army was in love with. I slid off the road into the woods. I unpacked my sleeping bag and lay it under the overhang on the ground. I slid in on top of the bag in my sweat clothes and stared up at the rock slab above me. I opened my laptop and left it on, almost like bait, waiting for a phantom keystroke to clatter through with a message from the ghost of my affection. The ground by the overhang was littered with the golden corners of gummy candy bags I had torn open. Above me the ledge was scattershot with the remains of gummy candy strewn all over. Each night since Anna had disappeared I would eat one and place the other as an offering next to me on the mossy rocks for the girl I could not quit hurting for. I slid into my bag and looked out over the dark woods. The bullet was only a little ways away, and the training exercise was less than six days out. Anna, I whispered, I'm coming soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good time. I welcome your feedback and your comments. If you're interested in joining our Facebook group, you can see it there above our email. We'll have the next chapter of Anna Shoots ready for you sometime early next week. And I hope you have a good day. Thanks.